May God teach us as we open his word today. I don't know how you do it. This time of the year, I go into what I, you might call just a, a, a newsroom hibernation. And that is I stay out of the newsroom. I, I alienate myself from it because I can't take it year-round. And so from Thanksgiving until sometime when I feel like I can manage it again, after the, uh, after the Christmas holidays, I pretty much ignore, other than checking out headlines, I pretty much ignore the news. Don't turn it on, and it's like I, I, I weary, that's the point, I'm weary of the, uh, the stuff that is out there. Do you, ever, do you ever get there? The weariness, the absolute weariness of what goes on around the politics, okay? You can keep it. Here's another one that just wears me out is climate change because there's people who have stuff on both sides of the aisle and it just gets ugly. How about the question of war? I mean, I'm tired of hearing things like in Yemen, 14 million people being starved. How can anybody do that? And on and on it goes. So what I do in my hibernation, quite honestly, I create this little fantasy world where everything is just going to be good because I'm tired of being weary. So I've noticed that some of the new Christmas movies that are out, they're really dark. I have no time for the dark Christmas movie. Sorry, not interested in that. Give me the kind of movies that make me believe that life can be good and that things can be okay. And those are the ones I'll watch. Which is why It's a Wonderful Life is one of my favorite movies. I'm not saying it's biblical. Please, give give me a break here. But I'm saying it takes me back to a time when at least I want to believe life was a little simpler. People were a little bit kinder. They understood that uh, there's a God in heaven who's at work in the world in our day. And so I want to just do things that I find uplifting because I'm weary of what is out there. Now I say that not because I want you to, uh, you know, send me little notes that say, be strong, brother. Okay. That's not the point. I say it because as we come to the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is seeking to offer encouragement and strengthening to the people who have an immediate task before them of rebuilding the temple. And he is using um, these kinds of things, some uplifting thoughts with them to encourage them that you're building not simply for immediately in front of you. You are building for the long game. That God is going to do something down the road, something further. That God is still working redemptively in the world through you, through the covenants that he has established with you. And because of that, you can be strong to go forth and build. Now, you have to understand, there came, there was a time frame in there, and Haggai touched on it last week. There was a time frame where uh, they weren't, they, they, were, they were doing a lot of activity to try and get ahead. And Haggai says, you know, you're doing all this activity and it's getting you nowhere. You know why? Because God's blowing it away until you get your priorities straight about building the temple. Well, Zechariah is a contemporary of Haggai. And whereas he is not quite as confrontational and quite as direct in that kind of a thing, he is 
speaking, one, you need to rebuild the temple, but two, he's speaking encouragement as to here's how God is going to be at work, not only now, but in the future. So this will not come up on the screen. Everything else will. In in Zechariah chapter 8, here's what I'm giving you as an example. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who have been hearing in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day of the foundation uh, was laid, the foundation to the temple, the prophets who were saying, got to rebuild, saying, be strong for the house of the Lord of hosts that the temple might be built. So there's these other prophets who were there. For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I said, all men, everyone against his neighbor. He said, you were having difficult times. Verse 11, but now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. It's going to be a new day. Now that you're getting engaged in building the temple, it's a new day. For the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give their due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. So Zechariah is saying that God is ready to bless them as they move forward in building, the t- in building the temples. So be strong. Get this task done. The God in heaven whom you serve is continuing to do a work. Now the thing that is interesting about reading the book of Zechariah is as he's offering this encouragement that it isn't only about the present day, about like right now the crops will actually come in, if you'll build the temple. He's saying, you're building a temple in anticipation of the king who is to come and what God will do through him, the one who is of the line of David, the one who we have been waiting for literally for centuries as he speaks to them. He gives them encouragement. So we wind up with many of the prophecies that we know of Christ. A good number of them are recorded for us right here in the book of Zechariah. And I want to touch on a few of them. There are more than what is here, but a few that will, that will just jump out at you. You go, oh yeah, I can see the connection immediately with what I already know. And uh, I understand what you're getting at here. So in Zechariah, first what I wanted to note is he references the Christ who came in abject humility. We understand as we consider the scriptures that it was hard for the prophets and those, the writing prophets and those who who studied, it was hard for them to put together these different pictures of Messiah because some depicted him as, as a suffering servant and some depicted him as a reigning king. So what is he? As they tried to understand it and they didn't get a good handle on it at that point. But in Zechariah chapter 9, I want to, I want to pick it up I think, yeah, verse 9, we'll do verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. So there we get this idea of the king, right? He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Wait a second, you're talking about a king. Kings come on magnificent steeds and they have armies with them and they are in chariots and they have all this glamour that goes around them and wealth and power. And he's coming on a donkey? It doesn't add up. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He says, when this one comes, he is going to have victory over your enemies. He is going to establish peace. Now, when we speak about the one who is coming on, on the foal of a donkey, of course, immediately... For most of you, your mind is going to what we refer to as, it's come to us as Palm Sunday, hasn't it? We understand this. Luke chapter 19, and all of the gospel writers reference this. Luke chapter 19, and um, uh, this won't come up. You'll get it. As he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives... The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had done, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And this is Christ, having been prophesied by Zechariah. And Luke points it out, we just didn't read it, that he came on a donkey and he entered the city. And the people proclaimed him. But he weeps because the whole people did not receive him. And before the week is done, they will have crucified him, the one who came as their king, to bring peace to them. Amazing. Zechariah referenced that 500 years prior. You get to Zechariah chapter 11. There's another reference there that comes very clear to us. The scripture, the gospel writers connect it for us. And as Zechariah is receiving you know, not always the prophets were well received. Uh, God instructs him to say, hey, ask them to pay for your services. In verse 12 of chapter 11, then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. That's the price of a gourd slave. Not very much. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And we understand that Christ was not respected, that the work which he did was not being received, and uh, Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Huh. Zechariah spoke of that and gave a hint that that was going to happen. Zechariah chapter 12. Again, Christ was in his humility. He was going, going to go to the cross because of what happens there. Zechariah chapter 12. I think we want to pick it up in about verse 8. In the day that the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, because Zechariah is telling them there's good things that are going to be happening here, the one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns 
for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah prophesies that there is one who will come and he will put down their enemies, yet he was one who has been pierced, a reference to the crucifixion. Huh. They're going to celebrate Christ after his humiliation at the cross. And so when they finally catch on to who he is, they're going to realize we missed it when you first came. So the Christ who came in abject humility, and Zechariah references that in these various ways, will return in ultimate authority. Picking it up in Zechariah chapter 14, I, want to, I think I want to begin in verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth. Now remember, he's encouraging him, build the temple. Because God's still doing some things here. All right? So build the temple. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faced Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he describes that this one who came in abject humility now is going to come in ultimate authority. And when, and you can see this accounted for in the, in the book of Revelation, where Christ comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he lands on the Mount of Olives. Remember the Mount of Olives? It shows up repeatedly. It's on the east side of a valley, right across from Jerusalem. We just read about Christ coming from the Mount of Olives down into the valley on that, on that colt. And now he came in and, and uh, entered the city in humility on a colt. Now he comes back to the Mount of Olives, only this time he has so much authority and he is so, he is so effectively going to make himself known that literally the Mount of Olives will split with a valley running between them. And that valley will become a place of escape. But there will be these incredible physical manifestations of the power and the authority with which he comes. The Christ who came in abject humility will return in ultimate authority, so much so that he will, he will just take control over the very ter- terra firma that men have walked on for millennia, and he will affect its presence and thereby reveal unmistakable clarity. He will reveal unmistakable clarity. If you drop down a little bit further into chapter 14, and this is our memory verse for this week, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one, and his name one. I look forward to that day, friends. Out of the weariness of what each day can bring, when you look at the world around us, I look forward to that day when Christ comes and notice it says that he is king. When Christ comes and he takes the throne of David and he rules in perfect righteousness from the city of Jerusalem, when he comes... It will be clear 
who is in charge. There's no question at that point that he is the one who is ruling over the entire earth. He will manifest his presence so significantly that all the nations will be in subjection to him. We got a little bit of hint of that last week in the book of Haggai and Zechariah follows up on it with references to gold and silver, how they will bring gold and silver to Jerusalem, their gold and silver to honor Christ. And he will reign there. There's no question who's in charge. Do you ever just get confused with who exactly is in charge? When we're, when we're engaged in wars in the Middle East, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys and who's fighting who? And it is so confusing. But when Christ comes, there's no confusion. He alone reigns. And the entire earth will be in subjection to him. It will be clear who is in charge. He will rule in righteousness. Will that not be wonderful? Will that not be absolutely wonderful to be able to turn on the news and say that the power of government has been used today with absolute perfect righteousness? That those in power have done justice that they have honored God in how they use their power. They have not used it to satisfy their own ends. They've used it for righteous means because that is what he will require of his government. Is it not great that when it says, yeah, he's going to be king over all the earth, in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. No other God will be worshipped. It will be clear who we need to worship, why we need to worship him. I just saw a video clip yesterday indicating uh, that there are 10,000, somebody estimates 10,000 religions across the earth. 10,000 different religions. Because man's got to try and figure this all out for himself. And God's like, you don't have to figure it out. I'm revealing myself to you. But man's like, no, I'll do it my own way. Thank you. Trent, I've got to ask you again. 300 million? Is that how many there were in Nepal and in the Hindu system? 300 million gods in the Hindu system. Because everything is worshipped as a god. Nonsense. That the day is going to come when no other God will be worshipped because in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one and everybody will understand that the only one who's worthy of our worship is, as Mike tried to encourage us earlier, this one who has redeemed us, the second person of the Trinity, who now sits enthroned upon the throne of David and no other God needs to be worshipped because they have all lost their luster. He's defeated them all. He's put them all down. He has eliminated them from his presence. And it will be obvious this is the only God to worship. It will be clear who is in charge. He will rule in righteousness. No other God will be worshipped. Confusion will be eliminated. 
You can read people, or you can, you can read the people who write about something called now it becomes climate change, and how there's this consensus, and now they just had a meeting this past week about how they're going to save the earth through whatever they're doing with carbon stuff. You can read all of that, and you can buy into it and go, oh, that's great. And then I listened to a guy, a Nobel laureate, I just listened to a video this week, he says they're all crazy. It is not a thing. And you see other people. They just don't get the news, okay? They don't, they don't make the news headlines. Who's right? You will see things like gender dysphoria issues handled appropriately. With grace, with kindness, but with righteousness. So they don't rule the day. So they don't drive all... Uh, 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 All decisions being made, they will be put in a proper perspective. There will be a correct chain of command. Here's some confusion that will be eliminated. This is something we've kind of lost track of in America. I mean, who's in charge of this or who's in charge of that? And you hear things about judicial or executive overreach where the court system went too far here, or the president went too far here, and at the same time you hear about Congress is backing away from using their authority. It's confusing. And when you have confusion, you have people who will step in and grab power for themselves. And it's just, I'm just weary of all of it, personally. This is why I'm in hibernation mode right now. Just tired of it. I'm tired of the fact that on the news, every bit of news that comes forward is breaking news. It's not all breaking news. It's just the same stuff you've been saying for the last three weeks. And you haven't added that much insight to it, and I'm just tired of it. But here's the thing, friends when we are clear who is in charge, that he will rule in righteousness, that no other God will be worshipped, that confusion will be eliminated, here's the thing. Peace will follow. Don't you long for peace sometimes? Don't you just look around in this world and see it in its brokenness and its darkness and just long that there would be a day when peace reigns We tie it in a lot in talking about Christmas. The reality is, you and I aren't going to bring it. (laughs) The reality is, mankind on his own is not going to bring it. He may desire it, but he's not going to bring it. He's too broken. He's too dark for that to happen. But there is going to come one whom, with his arrival, peace will follow. And here's the cool thing about Christmas with that, when we keep tying in this peace element with it. The reality of Christ's first coming confirms the promise of his second coming, when he will be king and the Lord will be one. And all of these things that we long for in our hearts are going to be fulfilled. And God himself will receive the glory. He alone. And that's going to be a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what do we do in the meantime? Zechariah was saying to the people in Israel, you have a task at hand. Your task is to build the temple right now because God's got a longer view and he's going to do something. 
Mike encouraged us. <laughs> We're to be the presence right now. Because there's a long view in mind. There's a long game in mind here. God is continuing to do his redemptive work day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, until it is complete. And right now, he's calling upon his church to be his presence, to be that place where he is being made known. And we get to be a part of that as believers in Jesus Christ, friends. We ought to consider being engaged for the long game. That what I do right now, I don't build a temple like they were exhorted to do, but I am to have a place in the body of Christ, which, well, we won't go there. That give us off too long. Each of us is to have a place in the body of Christ where we serve. So God can use us for eternal purposes as he continues to work out his plan of redemption. Father, thank you that the coming of Jesus Christ past has offered us, as we look at the humility with which he came and the cross with which he went to, it has offered us salvation that we, that we understand, that we can claim, that we recognize we need, Father. It has offered us that, but at the same time, it offers us this promise that he will return, as the prophets have said, and he will reign in righteousness. We long for that day, Father. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, and bring that peace on the earth that we need so desperately. And in the meantime, may we, as he told us, occupy till he comes. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.